I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. And anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the fascinating world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail with us on a voyage of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and in the boat beside me is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where are we off to today, Mel? Well... Freddie, today we're going to experience quite a bit of excitement as we hear from not one, not two, but a half a dozen or more friends that we connected with at IAPA in 2018. Uh, the IAPA Attractions Expo, if you haven't heard about it, is a week-long theme park industry summit that takes place every year in Orlando. It tracks the best and brightest from every aspect of the industry, from coaster builders and animatronic engineers to master planners and theme park executive leadership. Uh, it can be a little overwhelming uh, to experience at first glance what looks like the world to be the world's biggest carny convention. Uh, but if you want to see the latest, greatest, and most out-of-the-world developments coming soon to a themed environment near you, IAP is the place to be. That's right. So uh, this being my first trip to IAPA, I grabbed my trusty recording device, headed deep into the mix to chat with new friends and old and hear how they're making the theme park industry better every day. We're going to hear from top execs like Phil Hedema and Brad Thomas, ride designers, theming experts, and even get first reactions to 2019's Themed Entertainment Association Theo Awards announcements. All right, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Wow, Mel, you told me IAPA was big. You told me that I would have to see it to believe it. You told me that my mind would be blown, and uh, I had no idea how right you truly would be. <laughs> well, I, I could vaguely remember my first impressions. I mean, I've been going every year probably at least for the last dozen years or so. Uh, I know the experience uh, kind of needs to, to be curated <laughs> at <Yeah>. some level because <laughs> it could be uh, get easy to kind of get lost in the in the free slushies and free popcorn <laughs> and, and never make it past that. But uh, some definitely great conversations uh, to be had. On yeah. The floor. Well, uh, it's really a remarkable um, place to be. Uh, it's the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions is their big expo. Um, it's international in scope. Um, kind of surprising to see such scale uh, when you really don't think of amusement parks as the number one thing that, you know, makes up life. I mean, how, how did it get this big? Do you think do you have any idea? I mean, it's, you said carnies. Um, how does it grow like this? Well, um, you know, I think there's a, a couple of unique aspects to it. I mean, first and foremost, just uh, uh, being uh, international in scope and um, really with the rise of the middle class in developing nations now. Yeah. And uh, just it's the place to talk about um, uh, location-based leisure and entertainment and attractions, again, from virtual reality to, to physical reality. And um it it just has ended up having this unique niche in the yeah. in the global marketplace and and again I I mean globally I think as 
we look at things like malls um, kind of dying and failing uh, in today's day and age when you, they can't compete with uh, value from either Amazon online retailing or yeah. or Walmart. Experience is where it's at, you yeah. know, and and this is this is the epicenter of this uh, burgeoning experience. Uh, based economy yeah. and, uh, and and what a great place to kind of get a litmus and a taste test of where things are going. An experience, yeah. It, it was an experience for me. I mean, you walk into that giant uh, Orange County Convention Center and you can, where you can, if you look down one aisle, it looks like you can see the earth bending the curve of the earth going <laughs> off into the distance. Um, this, but, and by the way, we are talking about full scale Rides operating inside, inside the outside, you know, taking up the parking lot, taking up the convention hall. So again, it's it's hard to explain, but it, yeah, it's it's just yeah. not your normal business convention. No, it really, really isn't. Um, so this episode is a bit unusual for us because uh, of the so many different. Uh, guests. I went around with the recording device. I met people. Um, these are some of the best interviews that we got from it. Some really interesting folks from executives on down to uh, people with very specific niche uh, disciplines. Um, so I want to get us started with our very first interview. We interviewed Brad Thomas. He's the president of Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. Uh, Mel, you know him well. Uh, first, I want you to explain how we met and know Brad. And then, of course, the unique way that the Hershen family parks, they operate with a special focus on what they call servant leadership. Well, I'll never forget, again, the, the first time that uh, I was set up to meet with uh, uh, Joel, their prior CEO, Joel Manby, and Anthony Esparza, um, and uh, and both of whom have become amazing friends and mentors of mine. And, um, you know, coming in their office, getting kind of the, the nickel tour. And I remember the, the designer that uh, toured me around stopping me in front of this uh, bronze statue, uh, essentially, of, uh, of hands washing feet. Hmm. Um, and it explained to me the, the concept of around here, it's not about... Uh, titles and uh, what what your job title is on your business card. It's it's about you know who wants a towel to wash feet yeah, and just yeah. explain that concept of servant leadership that um, you know you're only as good as those you're willing to to serve and and um, to me that was such a, a powerful metaphor and I could I could tell um, in him the pride that he took uh, in the uniqueness of uh, again the the cultural architecture yeah. that had been built at this place and. Uh, and, and Joel uh, has expounded on this on his uh, amazing book uh, called Love Works, which I would recommend to to anybody. But again, what a what a joy it's been to get to know uh, and and serve Hershend over uh, these many years, and uh, what a unique experience. Uh, I'm just a huge fan of Hershend and their parks uh, yeah. and their whole cultural vibe uh, over the years. And so, um, yeah, I I, I just can't stop talking about him. Yeah, no. So Brad, uh, really, uh, he shared with us at a, uh, one of the breakouts, and you just really can hear his heart for the people that he serves as the leader at uh, Silver, Dollar, Silver Dollar City in Missouri. So here he is, uh, our brief interview with Brad Thomas of Silver Dollar City. Uh, well, Brad, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today, and it was really great to hear from you this morning at the prayer breakfast at uh, IAPA, and uh, we're so excited to listen to and hear about your company culture at uh, Silver Dollar City, and uh, just uh, the emotional uh, connection that people get by coming to a place where the values are pointing towards servanthood. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about um, how you 
approach and as far as the business culture to uh, being servants who love uh, unconditionally? How's that go? Well, you know, I think I can answer that and give you like a three-hour yeah, synopsis, right. but I'll, I'll try to be more succinct because as I answer that question, it is really important for me to um, celebrate the fact that our company which is almost 60 years old, our company has a heritage, a history of owners who constantly look at being servant leaders. Mm. They care about caring for the guests and they care about our employees. And when you put those two together, some would call it hospitality. Mm An entire industry, a theme park industry, a hospitality industry is based upon serving other people. Our corporate culture, our company culture, is based on decades of taking care of other individuals and doing so in a selfless kind of way. And our company strives in a very significant way to find leaders who can understand servant leadership and to also to um, impact the culture through training, through conversation, so that we will continually be an organization based on servant leadership. Yeah, I love that. And also, you know, uh, as part of your story, being a young guy, uh, your first thought of where you wanted to work was at uh, Silver Dollar City. And so it sounded like that's your story. Uh, And tell me a little bit about how uh, somebody starts uh, in the industry at just right, you know, green out, you were right out of high school, or I would assume. Tell me about that first job and how that leads you to be leading an organization like this uh, in such a great way. Well, the company had been on my radar. Yeah. As I went through high school, as I went through undergraduate work, as I received my master's degree, and the company had been on my radar. And I aspired to work in that organization. Um, I had worked my way through high school and college in retail. Yeah. And so I believed that I could do retail at, at Silver Dollar City, and that's how I began. And I started in a training program back 28 years ago in a, a very entry-level kind of position, and it was really clear that I was in a training position, and it was important that I either make it or I don't make it. Yeah, right. And so I worked really hard and um, loved the culture, loved the company, loved what we were then, and love, love, love what we are today and the future of this this company. And I love the people with whom we work. We are blessed with incredible frontline staff. We're blessed with incredible owners. And that together puts a really nice chemistry that our guests will will respect. They may not understand all of that. They may not, a guest may not walk out of our park and say, goodness, they are practicing servant leadership. (laughs) But hopefully, because of the way they're serviced through the course of the day, the way they're cared for, the way they're loved through the course of the day, hopefully they will walk out having had had a great time, but also recognizing there was something different with their experience that day. Yeah, what does that look like uh, as sort of a uh, example of a family or an individual having sort of really received uh, the servant culture of uh, Silver Dollar City? What, what, any good examples of stories of people uh, being transformed, changed by that? We actually have a book that we have, it's not for sale on Amazon, it's an internal book, but we have a book of stories from every corner of our company that um, explains moments where our employees 
did something amazing for each other or they did something for our guests. And, you know, we're not perfect. There are times that we let someone down. It is never our intent, though. We want to ensure that we're doing whatever we can to care for our guests and to also um, take care of each other. And and that is... um, a culture that is important to keep as we look forward to to the next generations. Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, a lot of times we'll we'll listen to uh, people talk about how their the focus of a theme park is fun and or or the more current culture is to talk about storytelling. You know, we want to have stories that transform. But it sounds like the culture there has, has goes another deeper level uh, as far it's not just story it's not just having fun what is it you know I think it's called love and care and when our employees are at their best they are loving on our guests Mm. and it could be a guest that has special needs it could be a guest who um, is having a great day and life is good for them but here's what I know here's what those in this industry know Every single person that walks through a theme park's gate has a story. Mm -hmm. And we may look at each other and think, well, there's the perfect family over there. And everything's all good with them. And, boy, wouldn't I aspire to be in their house. Yeah, the kid isn't breaking down and uh, throwing a fit right in the middle of the hot, sunny day. (laughs) Precisely. Or look at them. They have all that money. Yeah, right. Or or look at them. They're all healthy. Mm. Whatever the case may be, here's what you and I know. There is no perfection. And, And therefore... There are troubles, there are cares, there are concerns. We never know when someone has just learned that they're getting ready to lose their job. We don't know when someone's just learned that someone in that family has a terminal illness or they're bad, they're just, they, they did their final chemo treatment or they just began their chemo treatment. And I don't say that to be a downer. I say that to be very factual and recognize that when someone visits a theme park, certainly a Hershen Park, but any other theme park. They do that to escape the cares of the world. And if we can help them escape and bring their family closer together in times of challenge, oh my goodness, then we've done a good job. Yeah. And, and that's what we strive for. I wish we could say we do it with 100% accuracy. We do not, but that's what we strive for. And that's what we talk to our employees about where we just encourage them to take care of every guest because you don't know what their challenge is but this we know every single person has a challenge yeah, yeah. that's a, that's exciting so uh, now let me let it, let us turn to a little bit of fun so uh tell me about uh your your favorite attraction or your your favorite uh place to hang out in silver dollar city so that you if somebody wanted to feel like um, like brad thomas they would uh go to this spot in the park and enjoy it just like you? Well, that is a very difficult question for me. <laughs> they're, to all, they're all your babies? <laughs> well, you know, because it is a special place. Yeah. And, and I'm so, I feel so connected to so many corners of that place. Uh, we call Silver Dollar City the city. Yeah. It is uh, themed into an 1880s town in the southern Missouri Ozarks, just 10 minutes from Arkansas. Um, but we just built an attraction that um, opened in the spring of 2018. It's called Time Traveler. Mm. 
And it is um, the world's fastest, steepest, and tallest spinning coaster ever constructed. It has three inversions. It has a immediate, as you leave the station, it has an immediate 10-story vertical drop, and it has two launches. It was engineered and built by Mach in Germany, and we opened that this spring, and it has been a blast to watch people literally from all over the United States and even some international families who have come to Branson and to Silver Dollar City to ride Time Traveler. But here's what I want to then go on and tell you. <laughs> that we, everything we do has a storyline. Yeah. Some are factual, some are fictional. This is a fictional. Charles Henry is a clockmaker at Silver Dollar City, and he builds clocks. And as you enter the queue line, first floor, you notice you're in a clock factory. Yeah. As you get to the second floor, you start seeing images where Charles Henry's building something that's a little interesting, like some kind of flying contraption. And by the time you hit the third floor of the queue, you recognize, oh, Charles Henry is building time machines mm. to move forward and backward in time. But the story that I love personally about Charles Henry <laughs> is this fictional character believes that it's important to dream big and not just settle for doing the mundane. Mm. He could be very content to make his money with doing the clocks, but he challenged himself to think bigger and bolder and to do something significant like build these time machines. But he also believed and he encouraged his employees to inspire others to do things for their communities, mm. to make a difference in their churches and in their schools and in their communities. And his mantra is yeah. dream big, do good. And you see that on the side of the merchandise building at Time Traveler, dream big, do good. Five foot letters on yeah. the side of that That's building. Great. We've had fun with that as we've looked at ways that we can celebrate heroes. We've celebrated teachers, K through 12 teachers received a special um, deal in the spring where they got a really great deal on admission to Silver Dollar City for a month. We've also celebrated heroes. We've done a call to entries to celebrate those individuals doing great things in their communities and they'll win um, some prizes, vacation packages to, to Branson. But we love it when we can take these rides, these attractions, and inspire others to be the good guys and to do things that make a difference in the world in which we live. Oh, that's fantastic. Brad, thank you so much for this opportunity to hang out and uh, listen to your story and your love for the people who come through your gates and, and your employees as well. It's a great story. We really appreciate hearing from you today. Thank you. I interviewed our next guest in Big Bird's shadow. Literally, I... Uh, came close to seeing this giant animatronic big bird and I felt like I was right there on Sesame Street and introduced myself to Rich Hill. He's the creative director of the Sally Corporation and they were there uh, promoting their new Sesame Street, The Dark Ride. What I found so interesting about this interview is Rich Hill is a big fan, um, a super fan of uh, all the cool stuff that most of us uh, Gen Xers are into, you know, your Star Wars and your um, DC Comics and uh, grew up with Sesame Street. And so his challenge with this attraction was to stay faithful to a beloved and respected IP. And uh, we get into that a little bit. So here he is, Rich Hill, the creative director of Sally Corporation. So uh, my name's Rich Hill. I'm the creative director for Sally Corporation. And uh, we're going to talk about Sesame Street, The Dark Ride. Awesome. Yep. So um, it's for uh, it's going into Port Aventura, opening next spring. 
Uh, we've been working on the project. I guess we really started talking about this middle of last year, about July of last year. We started talking with the park about it. Um, they have previously built a July of last year, so yeah. just a year and a half. Yeah, year and a half. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty typical for us. For Sally, it takes us about 14 months of real work to go from concept to opening day. And uh, so, uh, so this ride follows right along that same timeline. Okay, cool. It's a little bit fast, you know, I'd say, um, just because of the high uh, IP yep. brand recognition. Yep, that's right. So everything had to really match. You know, that was that was one of the things when uh, I started designing the ride. Um, I wanted it to be just like the show. Yep. You know, I was a huge fan as a kid. And so, um, so you know, it, there have been other interpretations of Sesame Street uh, in the theme park realm. Yep. And uh, they've never lived up to my high expectations of the of the ride. You know, yeah. I just when I go into a Sesame Street ride, I expect it to be Sesame Street. Yeah, that's I right. want to see the characters in their real fur, their real feathers, yeah. the real voices, doing the things that they do on Sesame Street. You know, having their little skits and the fun things that they do. And um, and this was my opportunity to to. to De develop that and deliver it. Oh man, I love and, it. Um, and we're standing yeah. right in front of uh, a Big Bird animatronic, and it is fantastic. I mean, you can really sense just the, the same uh, Big Bird that you saw on TV as a kid. Awesome. It, is, it was so important for me. I mean, yeah. I mean, not not only you know for the ride, but also just personally. Yeah. Sometimes you get to kind of divulge, like you kind of get to uh, like pat yourself on the back a little yep. bit. So I was like, okay, I want to go to New York. And I want to work with all the puppeteers. And so, um, basically, uh, so I wrote the script. I designed the building. Um, you know, I get to design the ride vehicles and all that kind of stuff. Um, oversee, you know, I'm the lead designer. So what that means is I get to oversee the, the creative development of the ride. So um, I have a, there's a ton, a huge amount of people that have worked on this under me to, to make that vision come to life. But uh, but it all started with, with me kind of trying to develop what is this ride. And so in that process, I got to uh, go to New York and have all the actors act out the entire attraction. But it was really important for the direction of the animatronics and the CG and all of the things that go into the ride, for that to come from the puppeteers, not to come from me or from some artist that's sitting behind a desk. Yeah. It was really important for those puppeteers to guide that direction. Uh -huh. And uh, so they they took the script and they acted it all out on the stage at Sesame Workshop. Yeah. And uh, and so we took that, edited it all together so it made sense in the linear format yeah. of the rod, and then gave that to all the artists. And we said, okay, here's your direction. Yeah. You know, no interpretation needed. Yeah. You know, have fun doing your creative things, but as far as how these actors perform, this is it. You know, you got Oscar the Grouch, you got Grover and Elmo and Big Bird. You know, all of these characters need to act like how these puppeteers acted. And so then we also we hired um, instead of our internal act, uh, inter our internal artists trying to develop all the animatronic characters and going through that that process of approvals, we hired Henson Workshop. You know. And so we hired them to build the, the outsides of the characters, and then we built the insides of the characters. Yeah. So we basically, they built um, uh, animatronic forms, and we took those forms, and then we built our mechanisms. Yeah. And then threw those forms away, and then they were building their skins, you know, the, the fur, the feathers, at, uh, at, at Henson Workshop. Yeah. And they sent them to us, we put them on, 
you know, made sure everything worked correctly. Yeah, and, and you um, can really tell. You can really tell that this isn't this isn't just somebody's interpretation of Big Bird. This is Big Bird. This is Big Bird. Yeah. This is as close to Big Bird as you're possibly going to get without a performer being inside. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. This, this is a, a realization of Big Bird, but in animatronic form. So talk to me about um, the the actor. I'm I can't. I'm just forget forgetting his name. Carol. Uh, yeah. The, Carol Spinney. Carol Spinney. Yeah. So he just uh, retired. He did. And so how exciting is it for you as a fan of Sesame Street? to have now built that and now he kind of gets to continue on in his role. It was amazing. I mean, I mean, we really, we worked with Matt Vogel on this, who's, who's Carol Spinney understudy and has taken over the, the voices of, of both Oscar and Big Bird. Um, so it, it's pretty amazing that we're able to work with Matt and, and, um, and figure out, you know, we talked to them a lot about, you know, Carol, I mean, just, just, you know, as sidebars, like, man, what was it like with Carol Spinney? He's like, it's awesome, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it really was just kind of a dream come to life getting oh, to work with these fantastic. guys. But, but uh, yeah, we worked with Matt Vogel, um, Eric, Peter, um, all the guys that do the actual characters. Yeah. Uh, we worked with all of them, you know, and uh, they got to they got to, you know, have their performances. It's going to come through in the dark round. You oh, know? That's fantastic. What can you show us? Anything uh, going on in the booth, or are you just have a meeting? A lot of meetings. Yeah, yeah a lot, lot of meetings. meetings. Yeah, a lot. What, of you, what are you hoping to accomplish at IAPA this year? So, um, so us as a company, we basically put together our, um, you know, it's our, our list of uh, A characters. These, these yeah, are the yeah. clients we absolutely want to talk with. Yeah. And literally every single one on our A list we're meeting with this week. Yeah. So really exciting week for us. I mean, yeah. we're, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of, lot of you know, work getting the presentations together and, and figuring out, you know, doing the research. And, you know what might they want, so we can anticipate that and yeah. have you know have a productive meeting. Yeah. But um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be pretty great this week. That's that's fantastic. I know you're a big fanboy from way back, and I know that the DC stuff that you were doing for the DC Dark Rides was really exciting for you. Right. Just uh, as a as a fellow uh, uh, Gen Xer, so what is it like to you know on Sesame Street? You did DC. Uh, what does that mean to you? I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I look at it from a fan's perspective. Yeah. You know, I don't look at it as a dark ride designer or a theme yep. park fan. Or it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that brand. Yeah. And if I were Hello, to be in an experience with those characters, what would I expect to happen? Yeah. You know? And so I just make that happen. Yeah. I just do it. I use my, my dark ride powers, yeah. you know, to, to craft it in such a way that, you know, I know the tools and the, the tricks of the trade that, that I can I can make something, uh, you know, make an experience happen. But how do I craft that for that specific brand? And um, so yeah, I mean, there there's some other brands that we're working with right now that uh, I'm getting to work with that are just it's it's like you know, if I'm not a super fan by the time the ride's done, I am a super yeah. fan because I have to learn. You know, yeah, I have awesome. to be. You know, so great. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's like the best job ever. You know, yeah. basically. Get as close as you can to these people that are super creative. Yeah. Figure out what makes them tick, and then you know, and then take their brand to the next level. Well, thank you so much, Rich. This is super to sure, get to thanks, talk to Dave. you today. Yeah, really great to talk to you guys. So, for a first timer at IAPA, I was blown away by the wild array of disciplines and expertise on display. Like you said, it was you know everybody from attractions builders, filmmakers, illusionists, uh, toy makers, architects. 
uh, all kinds of artisans. It was just fascinating to see them. And one of the artisans that I ran into was Claire Evans, the president of Amazulu Inc. in Florida. Uh, she worked on a pretty special project uh, providing the um, the wicker work that is on featured on display inside Pandora at Disney Animal Kingdom. Really fascinating talking to Claire uh, because she helped the Imagineers bring their ideas to life through her ability with handcrafts. Uh, you won't believe this story. It's great. Okay, so I'm with uh, Claire Evans of Amazulu Incorporated. They make some amazing... Well, tell me about the stuff that you make for uh, themed attractions. All right. Hi, Freddie. Um, the, the type of things that we do is um, really all pretty unique. We bring it from all villages around the world to a central location here in Claremont. Um, we're based here because of the theme parks. It's a natural place for us to be. And it's all products that you're not going to be able to find at your Lowe's or Home Depot, things like that. So what we really specialize in is the thatch materials. Now thatch is that lovely shaggy roof that you get. We either have a palm thatch or a reed thatch. Um, our eucalyptus poles, which come in from Africa, they're just really unique. They are hardwood. You can find it all at Disney Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. full of it. And then, of course, our bamboo. Now, there's tons of bamboo out in the world. We just bring in construction-grade bamboo. Mm -hmm. So that's really the basis. That's the base product. And then our speciality, what we do above all that, is that we listen to our customers' designs. Yeah. And we take their designs, we give it to our artisans, mm -hmm. and they create the wonders of the world. So we use other people's designs, but we bring it to life. That's fantastic. And you were telling me earlier about what you did uh, as part of the... Uh, Pandora expansion at Animal Kingdom, um, and especially in using the thatch and, and helping them to tell their story in an authentic way. Tell me more about that. Oh, it was, to me, that is my best project we've done. Oh, it was so the most cool. exciting project. We had the Imagineers come through the warehouse and it was like a playground for oh them. They were looking at bamboo and, and I was just sitting back and just watching them take over and they were saying, all right, we need your bamboo now to look like asparagus. Can you do that? And of course I was saying, yes, we can. <laughs> and then we were moving on to the next thing and I was showing them little detailed rope and they're like, Claire, no, think about it. The Pandorians had these large blue hands. They yeah. can't do the detail. You know, start thinking like a Pandorian. And I was like, of course I must start doing that. <laughs> so just hearing the excitement in their voice and watching them put this all together, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. That is so cool. And then you also work really hard to be authentic with with your work. Tell me uh, about what you've had to learn over uh, the years of doing this to make uh, thatching and, uh, and all that you do. I look so uh, look so authentic. You know, it's um, there's no university degree that could possibly <laughs> teach you this at all. It's really just listening to the customer. When I started in this business 18 years ago, it was all natural thatch. You know, yeah. that's all we knew. And it really was the likes of the Universals and the Disneys that said, we love the product, but we can't maintain it. Every year we're changing it out because it's meant to look new all the time, yeah. you know? So we started then bringing in the synthetic thatches and it's taken this time to really perfect it. And my litmus test was going to them the one time and saying, all right guys, I think I've got it. And they said to me, wait, we told you we wanted synthetic. We didn't want natural. And I said, touch it. And they yeah. touched it and it was like, Oh my God, you yeah. kidding me? This has really come to life. That is so, so cool. Yeah, it's been a learning experience, but I love it. I love working in this industry. All right, so tell us about what your company is and does so that, like, what's the commercial? How, uh, how can people get a hold of you? 
All right. Our company is called Amazulu, and we have a website, amazuluinc.com. Don't forget the ink. And um, you can reach us. Um, we're open five days a week, and we've got a wonderful big warehouse here in Claremont, so come in and have a look. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire, for your time. This is awesome. Wonderful. Thank you, Freddie. Another thing we see a lot of at IAPA are design companies that are focused on servicing the smaller regional parks or family fun centers. Um, If all you think about for theme parks are the big places, um, you're thinking wrong because there are plenty of smaller parks, smaller um, attractions around the country, around the world uh, that need great design. And so um, Nate Naverson is uh, uh, the owner of themedattraction.com and uh, he grabbed the microphone and went out to meet some people that he knew and uh, ran into Dan Sawatsky of Imagination Corporation in British Columbia. They're a a family-owned and operated uh, business that helps those smaller parks, regional parks, family fun centers, etc., Uh, to help them raise the bar. And uh, once you get to hearing Dan Swatsky, you can hear the passion he has for doing so for so many families and places not near uh, the big parks and resorts. Check it out. We're talking to, uh, yeah, we're talking to Dan Swatsky uh, from Imagination Corporation, and you're just telling about your passion. Yeah, my passion is uh, we're a small company. We're a regional company. And so our passion is, is to create, deal with small parks, small owners uh, who are extremely passionate. They've invested their life into their projects uh, and helping them develop a, an, an original IP because they have no chance of buying a big IP. Of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, they would spend more on IP than they would spend on their entire park. Right. But, but every park in every region has a story. So let's tell that story in an exceptional way on a, and start small and over time create uh, a bigger and bigger theme that, that can be as good as the big guys, as good as Disney or as good as Universal, yeah. just on a smaller scale. Yeah, and we were actually, I was talking with, do you know Mel McGowan, a friend of mine, he helps do the theme attraction thing, but okay. also uh, Plain Joe Studios in LA. Anyway, we were talking about how just, you know, with some of our friends at SeaWorld, how they just really have had a problem where they can't afford the big international, uh, the IPs. You know, like Disney and Universal, yeah. and so they're they're falling behind as well. So I mean, what's the strategy? But even in a park like 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 that, they can tell stories that give out the message they want to tell about sure. conservation and about. I mean, every animal has that they've cared for has a story. So let's elaborate and embellish to to create that message. I mean, I would love to work for a park. I mean, that's a bigger park. Yeah. But let's start in one area and do it exceptionally well. Uh, as good a quality, as good as you know, in, in the theming, and that's what we do. That's right. what I'm passionate about. That's what I've I've spent the last 40 years doing. Right. And this company, 26 years so developing. How, how that. do you how do you approach that when you when you've got a small park, uh, you know, someone who's I mean, how do you, how do you get them to first of all have to tell their story and then also you know develop that that IP for them? What's I mean, the approach typically. Typically, I mean, I want to hear a spark of a story, not necessarily tell all fleshed out, and then let me do the research or let our team do the research and then and then start doing ideas. And every customer that we have, when they come to us, if you come to me as a park owner, you have a preconceived idea and a preconceived story based on your experience. Sure, yeah. uh, I bring 40 years of experience from my, a difference, and now let's blend those 
and tell your story in a very unique way. Uh, I just gave a talk here at IAPA, and it, for instance, uh, my customer came and said, we want to do pirates, and, and my head sank. is like, oh no, not that. Again, everybody does it, and everybody does it the same, and not especially well. But what happens if we take that story, okay, you wanted, it was a Caribbean park, it should be about pirates. Sure. That's where pirates were. Yeah. But let's tell the true version. Sure. And the true version. Everything else. No, 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 no. True pirates, the, the 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 best pirates of all were gruffles. They weren't human, they weren't animals, they were somewhere in the middle. Ah. Okay? And they 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 were the pirates who robbed from pirates. I mean these were the you know, the ultimate pirates. And you, we've heard of the Kraken, okay, this fearsome sea creature. That's a true story but not like you think, it wasn't real. It was a mechanical submarine who destroyed these wooden boats because the Krakens were very inventive, uh, far ahead of their time with steam technology and iron and forging. And, and so we created a Kraken. What does a wooden uh, and iron Kraken look like that these Kraken or these uh, gruffles would build? Well, I know, and, and so we drew it and, and presented the owner. They went, oh, this is cool. you know. Instead of developing one character, we developed 16 characters. There was Cookie, who was this wonderful green monster guy, and he was he was in charge of the food. Now imagine that what you can do for story if you got this wonderful green guy who's got he was missing a hand. So each of his his artificial hands, one was a, an egg flipper, one was a, a whisk to stir food, one was uh, a fork. One was a knife to do all to create these wonderful dishes. So now you tell it through your food. You tell it through your story. You know, my customer is going to buy off-the-shelf rides. They're going to buy a wave swinger. But a wave swinger, what is a wave swinger? Well, Twister would be in charge of the wave swinger, and he was think of the Tasmanian devil who spins and is all tangled in rope and does. You know, that's who with that guy. The guy who runs a train. His name was Pike. Well, Pike is this, this wonderful creature who's, who he loves trains. But what does a pirate train look like? Not like a regular train, it has to be special. So, you know, we created, that's how you tell a story, is you tell the same old story that everybody else is telling, but you tell it in a whole different way. And then you put, you know, the very best artwork to that. And, and we can rival, we can do what Disney does just as creatively. I mean, I had a chance to work at Disney, I turned them down. Why? Is because I don't want to work for this massive company. I want to make a huge difference on a small scale all over the place. So that's what we do. Interesting, yeah. Now Barry, by the way, is writing a book on regional parks. Cool. So I, I got some great ones for you. I feel like you guys, okay. you need to be talking to each other. You know, and I can show you the concept art. How did it come about? I mean, you know, the, the Imagineering book that we all love? Sure, yeah. I can show you that on a smaller scale and provide all the artwork for it. And you know, a park in Trinidad, a park in, in, in Cultus Lake, British Columbia. You never heard of this park. It's I think it's the best park in Canada. Maybe maybe bigger than that on, on that scale. Your book just got larger. <laughs> you know, and and you know, I I, I mean we, we worked for Mall of America and did the theme park, the, the mini golf upstairs based on the logging. We've worked for uh, West Edmonton Mall where we created a whole mini golf around that and, and I mean, the story there, Disney sued Mall, uh, West Edmonton Mall because they used the name Fantasyland, very unoriginal theme. Disney already did it, did it super well. So now it became, uh, I can't even remember the name of the park. Uh, it, the character's name was Cosmo. It was Galaxyland. And so we did a five-acre indoor theme park 
Jetsons meet Flintstones with this unique twist and told that story visually all through the park. And, and we had five years to do it because that was the terms of the settlement agreement. We had five years to re redo this, largely off-the-shelf rides, adding a whole new theme to it. And, and it was five acres indoors. It took us five years to do it. So, I mean, we got lots of great projects that we've done. Yeah. And then Again, you, smaller you even, regional parks. You even ran your own, uh, was it Family Entertainment Center? No, is it is, a regional park? I, or, or I've, I've been frustrated. Park, right? I've been frustrated my entire life with park owners who always have budgets. I mean, I mean those evil people, you yeah, know. How dare they? So how dare they? And we could never go 100 percent. So we could we could go 80 percent. Sometimes we'll get up to 90 percent, but I've never had a customer go 100. So about every 10 years, we have to do a project for ourselves, where we we go. We start at the back gate and we start working. We get to the front gate, gate, and I'll tell you what the budget was, and it's stupid. But that is a good investment because you got a park that's so much better. I mean, our current project is this one here, the the Hazelnut Inn. Uh, we've all heard of themed hotels. No, you haven't. You've, you've seen lightly themed hotels. This is going to set a new standard in the industry. Not large, only three rooms. But they're going to be booked for 10 years ahead because there's nothing like it. It's going to set a new standard in the industry. That's where my heart is, is here's the bar. Let's go there. You know, if as a small owner, you can only go 10% this year, then let's do 10%. It's going to make the rest of your park look like you need me next year. I'm okay with that. So, Do you see a growing interest in story and theme? Absolutely. I mean, Disney has done marvels for the industry. Universal is now stepping up to that level. and then, But it leaves the little guys who, who look like a parking lot with rides. What do we do? Well, we can do it just on a small scale. You know, we're going to do the entrance portal this year. Next year, we're going to do one ride the year after. As you see your business increasing, you know, if I can do a photo op that's so good that you have a bigger lineup for the photo op than you have for your ride, that's good for business. And it's simple. Because every time someone takes a selfie or takes a portrait on that ride, what are they doing? They're going home and pay posting it to your Facebook page and they're advertising your park. For free. For free. That's the cheapest, you know, that, that 20 grand you spend on a photo op is the best investment you make because you can't buy that. You can't buy that at all. So, yeah, I mean, that's our approach. I mean, Disney does it well. I mean, I go to school at Disney every time. I mean, I've been to most of the theme parks in the world that Disney does. They are the best, bar none. But why can't we be that good and original on a small scale? And I believe we can. Theming is so expensive, at least from my point of view. How do you get the bang for the buck? How do you get the full guest experience, you know, and, and be able to get your return on investment. Hire a small company. <laughs> That's really good. And there are that good companies. And you gotta do it you gotta do it sensibly. I mean if I oversell to a customer and they fail, that makes me look like a turkey. Sure, yeah. Is I don't do that. In fact I'll caution the we'll we'll tend to over design so they got a place to go in year two, year three, year four, which is a much more sensible approach. Because you it, it is I mean the bottom line, we are in a business in the theme park industry. If you have a theme park, you have to see a return on your investment unless you've got gold pockets, which I've never met that guy. I think Disney has that, but everyone no, else has No, I, I, beg, that. I beg to differ with you. Really? Everybody has a pipeline, and two things go through the pipeline, time and money. Now, Disney has a big pipeline, but you talk to any Imagineer, and they say, oh, you would have no idea what it could have been. Oh, yeah. Okay? 
And they still do it great. I mean, t to build Star Wars land and spend a billion dollars, like pipe is bigger than ever. It is. Yeah. It's a big pipe. But, it's still a pipe. but it, and if this park gets it, that park doesn't. It's and that's a tug of war. I mean, it, I know Imagineers. I could have worked there. I got was offered a job there. And it, it's I choose to work with smaller guys. I mean, I want to raise the bar for the industry, wherever that. I mean, if it's a little bar, it's a little bar. We're still going to raise it. And if it's a big bar, that's cool. But I think the industry, as technology comes and, and, and I mean, now we can use CNC routers and CNC plasma cutters to make stuff more affordable. Um, it's, it, I think it's a cool time to be in the industry. As opposed to, you know, before it was cool where everything was handmade. But how do you, how do you afford that for a little guy? You know, and then if it breaks, you've got to go buy another. Yeah. So, I mean, we build. I mean, the industry generally builds to a very, very high level because we don't, we can't afford a failure. You know, so we tend to way over engineer. But I mean, in our case, I mean, I had a guy this morning. He said, "Why don't you build on site? It's because it's too expensive." We build in our studio in the off season when the weather's horrible, and then we can, we can, uh, especially with CNC and stuff. So everything fits together perfectly. And then put it all in pallets or in containers, ship it, and sometimes I go to the site, sometimes I don't need to. Uh, and it assembles flawlessly. And then encourage them, okay, now spend a little bit more money on landscaping and things to soften the edges and all that stuff. So, and a lot of times it's, uh, park owners are enthusiastic about rides, but they don't understand about landscaping or they don't understand about marketing or they don't, you gotta wear a lot of hats when you're a small owner. And that's where we have, you know, I've run a park, we've owned a park, we design parks, and we build parks, which is a very rare skill set to have. So I'm not going to design something. I mean, you get an ultimate designer, he designs something, so now who's going to build that? And what is it going to cost? Where well, we know that at the start, we're working from the, a, a little different perspective. So that's Well, I think that let's wrap it up. What, what do you uh, have to say for someone who's trying to get into the industry, um, what, you know... Okay, for someone from a designer or a builder... I'll give you an example here to go. Okay. It's easier to learn. Okay. I, I've been in your shoes and I've been frustrated my entire life by the closeness of this industry. No one will share anything. Okay? We do a workshop once a year where we open our studio and there's nothing hidden and I'll answer every question and you can take all the pictures you want and you... It's, you know, we're, to my knowledge, we're the only one offering that. So it's my way of saying, I understand where you're at, where you're coming from. I mean, but come in and we tour you through projects and show you how does that happen? Backstage tour, inside out. So that's sort of my advice to people is, is find someone you can share with. You know, learn, apprentice, go learn. It's, it's start small, build models, sketch, draw, you know, work those talents visit Disney parks take pictures draw notes draw sketches you know it, it's a fun industry I retired when I was 23 uh, since then I've just been having fun okay in our company we if someone comes to us we do an interview what is your project what kind of budget you got what are you looking at you know and then we send them away and then Peter and I go through, okay, we have five questions that we ask ourselves. First question, will the project keep me up at night? Will I get excited about it? 
will it will it be fun for our staff? Is it fun? And if the answer is no, it's dead. Second question, does the customer trust us? Okay, they came to us because they appreciate our work or they've driven by our property. And even my house is this kind of stupid. It's it's crazy. And and it, they're excited to come in. Okay, do you trust me? I've got 40 years experience in this business. Do you trust me to, to build a project that you need? And it, it, it's going to be cool. Third question, is it good for me? Does it enhance my reputation? Is it exactly what I want to do? Fourth question, is there enough time? If you come to me and you're opening in May and you come to me in April, I'm going to send you away fast. If I happen to be booked for a year, we're talking next year. So do you have enough time? And last question is, is there enough money? Is, is there enough money to do it right? Is there enough money in the budget? Something's going to go wrong when we're building it. I'm going to get a better idea as I go in. So we have to price that in from the start. Because when I give someone a customer a price, I never raise my price. That is the price. And I want to deliver the best possible project, better than anything I've ever done before when I deliver. So if we get five yeses, that's our customer. And we send away 90% of who comes. And we only get the best. Not the biggest, only the best, the most creative. And, and most of our customers, I've slept in their house, I've eaten, at their, I've eaten at their meals, at their table. We become lifelong friends and the repeaters where customers come back again and again and again because it's good for both of us to work together. And in the end, they see their passion come to life and I see mine come to life. And, and to me, creating safe places for families to go and enjoy and create lifelong memories, that is a worthy calling. And I'm, I'm up for the challenge. So. What's, your, uh, what's your favorite project? My favorite project is the next one. It's <laughs> a good answer. You know, the end currently, because we're, we're only about a third of the way through that. That's my favorite. But I'm pretty excited about some other ones on the drawing board, too. And I know, I, sometimes I wonder, what happens if, I, if we've ever done the best work we possibly can? I don't worry about that anymore. I'm 60, almost 65 years old, and I think maybe in, in 20 years I'll, I'll ask that same question. But till then, I don't think so. Let me, let me change the question a little bit. What, what work are you most proud of? At the time, all of it, because it was the best I could do at that point. But I, but I, even so, I go back 25 years and look at some projects, and that weren't bad. That weren't bad. But I mean, West Hampton Mall, Galaxyland is a great project. Mall of America is, is a great project. Um, Giga Ridge and, and Cultus Lake Adventure Park, great projects. Trinidad one, you know, Scallywags. I think that was the best work we did to that point, and an awesome part. Uh, and, and some small signs are just as cool, rather than a whole, I don't need to, you know, that's not the measure, is where was I most creative? That's what defines what is my best or favorite project. Uh, and where I surprised myself, too, going into it. Or our team did. I mean, there's projects where I'll do a concept, and they'll say, what do you want to do here? And I'll go, surprise me. Because I know they got a better idea than I do. And there's projects I don't actually physically touch. And in the end, I'm just as proud of it. I get to hang my name on it just as much. So it's, you know, that, that, that question will never be answered truthfully because uh, we're capable of so much more than we think, even after being in this business all these decades. And I'm just as excited today as I was, you probably sense that, but I get just as excited and passionate and crazy about what I'm doing now as what I, when I started. Because every project we're doing what we've never done before, we're always jumping in the deep end and then figuring out, we thought we could swim, but pretty quickly discovering, no, we really, you know, 
we laughed. We said, we did it this time, but no, there's always a creative solution too. A very purposeful decision, we'll keep our company small. You know, we're currently, there, there's Pete and his wife and, and my wife and I are, are partners. I'm a very minor partner. Uh, and we only have, our, our perfect number is seven employees. And people say, well, if you had 20, could you do more? Yes. But the beauty is, and why I turned down Imagineering, is that I can draw in the morning, I can weld a f armature in the afternoon, and the next day I can mud it, and then I can, if my daughter will let me, I can paint it, if, unless she thinks it's so exciting she paints it. I got, I got, I wear band-aids regularly because I hurt myself in the shop. Is I'm not stuck doing one job all day long. No or, committees. No committees. It's we make decisions on the fly, you know, or I'm welding away and Peter will say, Dad, I think we should cut that off. Why? He's, well, what if we did this? You're right. That's a cool idea. So check your ego and just make it better and better. It's cool. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they are felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. They turn big ideas into reality. They tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only ever seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big idea's best ally. One of the things I was most excited about was to be at IAPA for the announcement of the Themed Entertainment Association Thea Award nominees for 2019. Now, I was at uh, the Theas in 2018 and really was blown away by the way that this industry honors its own uh, for their creative achievements and um, the amazing different ways that museums, attractions, regional parks, and uh, the like are um really honored among uh, the people in this industry, just held up with high esteem. And, and that uh, sort of brings a great sense of community for, um, for the industry. So it was really cool to see them announce the new honorees for the Theas in uh, April, coming up in April. And the first person I tracked down was Michael Mercadante, the international board president of the Themed Entertainment Association. And uh, I got a hold of him and asked him what he's thinking, what he, uh, uh, what he's excited about for this year's Thea Awards. And um, just then, uh, I finished talking to Michael and turned around, and there was Phil Hedema. Uh, last year, he was the Buzz Price Award recipient, and uh, now he was here to hear um, about the amazing slate of projects, including uh, the nomination of Mark Woodbury for the 2019 Buzz Price Award. Um, 
Mark Woodbury, of course, of Universal. So here we go with Michael Mercadante of the TEA and Phil Hedema, obviously the president and creative executive at the Hedema Group. Uh, hi, this is, uh, I'm with uh, Michael Mercadante at IAPA right now. They just announced the TEA Theo Awards, and we're so excited to hear about that. Michael, tell us uh, some of the uh, awards that you're excited about this year. So this is our 25th year, Amazing. and we're giving awards to um, visitor experiences that really excel, and I'm looking for my list Your so list? I can remember. I guess I'll go off the top of my head. So Volcano Bay here yes. in Orlando, um, a lot of projects around the world. We had a handful in China. Um, in Japan, there's a digital museum that's yeah. been awarded, and I've seen in many presentations this week. Also, the George Washington, um, my gosh, George Washington um, site in Virginia, yeah, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the official name of that. Yep. And just a handful of places all over the country where visitors are experiencing great attractions. Yeah, I was excited too about the Thea, Thea, the Thea Classic with Dollywood. Oh yes, absolutely. Dollywood and then Mark Woodbury, who yeah. is our um, Buzz Price Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Here, let me see if I can remember any others now that I got the list out. So, oh, and the Tech Award goes to Intel for their Shooting Star drone. We had Lego House in Denmark. And we had uh, Justice League at Magic Mountain in California. Yes, the Sally guys. Right, and um, a whole host of attractions, um, of experiences, and I believe we have about 20 this year. Wow, this is super exciting. We're we're glad to be a part of it and see it here right now. Um, what what is the TEA Theo Awards look like in April? Is it going to be uh, bigger and better than ever? Always. It's uh, part of our three-day event. So the first two days is our summit where we're looking at things that are happening in the industry and then we uh, get an in-depth look at each of these projects and then we present the awards on April 13th. Well, we can't wait. Uh, really appreciate you and all that you are doing with the Themed Entertainment Association. I'm with Phil Hedema uh, of the Hedema Group, super excited about, uh, he was the Buzz Price Award winner last year, and then now this year, announcements just came in, uh, so what do you think about this uh, next team of amazing Hedema, I mean, amazing Thea, uh, Thea Award recipients? Well, it, it's an amazing slate of projects. Uh, it was I was on the jury this year, because that's what you get to do when you're the Lifetime Award winner, so it's great to see them all come together, and it's super exciting that Mark Woodbury, who's a longtime colleague and really a legend in our business. He's just accomplished so much and taken Universal to new heights. So that's a really well-deserved honor. Oh, we love that. That's so exciting for them. And, and uh, you guys are having a party uh, tomorrow night, I think. That's uh, right. Pretty excited about that. What are, uh, what, are people, what should people look forward to? Um, well, we've got a lot of exciting projects going up right now. We're just happy to be at AFA because it's a chance to see old colleagues and friends. Um, and uh, that's really what... This business is about the people first and foremost. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we love you guys. We uh, love everything that you've done, especially some of the work that you've uh, done. You, last year you told me about the work that you did for the, I think, the World War II uh, thing. And that the reason why you liked it so much was because it had something to do with your father. And yeah. uh, that's just wonderful. And we're, we're working on a new new uh, project, a new show for the World War II Museum. Yeah. That'll be the last piece of their master plan that we're incredibly excited about, and that'll open in a couple years. So. Okay, looking forward to that. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, buddy. All right, we're gonna close out um, our IAPA episode with one of my favorite moments uh, at the convention. Uh, I met up with a friend, Trevor Tuttle. He's from the Bureau of Story Art, 
um, really great company, and uh, he introduced me to um, a surprising guest for the show, 16-year-old Memphis Grace McPherson. She's a next-gen themed entertainment um, up-and-comer. She is... Um, a firecracker, as you'll notice here, just really full of energy, full of hope, and full of ideas um, for the mark that she's going to make on the themed entertainment industry. So um, I just wrapped, brought them both together for one interview. Um, we're going to talk about the excitement of joining into this inter- industry, uh, which is an exciting in- industry to be in in the first place. And we're going to hear from both a veteran and a next gen, hear how Trevor got into the industry, and then hear right here on the cusp of her own career, how a next gen approaches uh, this uh, great task of getting into the theme and entertainment industry. All right, check this out. I think you'll like it. Well, thank you, Trevor, so much for being here with me and Memphis Grace. This is awesome. What an opportunity to meet you here today at IAPA. This is uh, an amazing giant exposition and uh, you just can't get enough of running into really cool people. Trevor, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, Bosa Film and uh, what you're doing here at uh, IAPA this week. Uh, thank you, first and foremost, for having me and, and taking the time. Um, IAPA is a crazy experience because, as I was saying before, it, it, it's the combination of visionary frontier leading the world in some of the greatest experiential um, stuff on the planet and Carney. Yes. So it's just like, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I think we all like to dream big, but it's also a reminder that we all are, you know, glorified carnies in a beautiful way. I mean, that is a compliment. Yeah, right. So, yeah, we're, we're we, um, you know, we travel and we do shows and we have magic. And um, the, th- the common thread with all of that is story. Yeah. Hopefully there's good story. Story is what connects human beings to an experience. Story is what gives a static you know, just process and emotion. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, story's been the way we've made sense of the world as human beings. So for me, since I was a little kid, I've been very passionate about story. And I've taken many different forms with story uh, as a sculptor for Lucas, which was one of my first jobs out of college, into a lot of the forefront of vi- virtual production and yeah. revisualization and really getting a lot of the modern processes of virtual production on its feet. Again, this is all just ways of taking a series of ideas and thoughts and pages of a script and wrapping visual form in it and starting to create that human connection through story. So in short, my studio is BOSA, which is Bureau of Story Art. Yeah. Uh, we're a visual design studio. Again, we take ideas, we take concepts, we take visions, we take abstractions, and we put visual form to them. Uh, we're very heavy with the art department. Previs and tech viz and virtual production are is probably our biggest tool. Yeah. But it really is just in service of being able to tell a story more efficiently and and, and much better. Somebody just gave me a quote on the floor from uh, was it Lee Iacocca perhaps, mm. but basically said, um, you know, quality quality design is the most important part of an experience yeah and I completely agree that I think if you get everything in place um, if the script is good if the design is good then it, it you know it can stand to go through a natural process which will be hundreds if not thousands of fabricators and, and people trying to get something together if you have a strong concrete well-told story that's emotional engaging yeah uh, and um, you know just, just again just excites the human experience yeah um, 
then I think all of that can fall into place. So my passion is we have a boutique studio in Hollywood, California, um, that is steeped very deep in uh, filmmakers and storytellers and visual designers. And our passion is to design the best story experience possible before it goes off to <laughs> get crunched up in the machine and, and hopefully, you know, come out the other side with, with some of that intact. Yeah, I want to hit on some of that with you in a minute okay. of, about the great storytellers you've gotten mm -hmm. to work with, the great yeah. stories and uh, properties that you've been able to work with. Mm -hmm. um, but you hit, you said something uh, there about uh, starting off when you were really young, and that right. is a fantastic transition Perfect. to our other guest, um, Memphis. How old are you? I'm 16. Yeah. So uh, Memphis uh, made her way to IAPA because she is passionate about uh, theming and telling stories through uh, immersive entertainment. And I wanted to, uh, Trevor introduced us and said she would make a great podcast guest. And I, I think we're um, in for a treat. So uh, tell me why you came out to IAPA and you know, maybe how you ended up just popping your way all the way out here. So since the age of three, I knew this is what I want to do. I'm going to be a theme park designer. That's what I tell my mom. That's what I tell anyone who asked me. So. One day I realized I have to make this happen somehow. So I started talking with this guy who I met at a convention and he just so happened to know a ton about theme parks. So he invited me out to LA to meet a few people, including someone called Forbes Cavendish. And he gave me a pass to IAPA. And so ever since that moment, I've been coming to IAPA. It's my third IAPA now. That's fantastic. And uh, what are you seeing here so far that's getting your inspiration uh, ramping up? Well, what's really inspiring me is seeing the new technology and thinking of the ways it could be, could be implemented yeah. in creating new attractions. The way things like uh, the new levels of interaction will lead to such incredible storytelling that's unlike anything else. And that just gets my imagination fired up. Oh, that's fantastic. Totally, totally exactly how I felt when I was uh, creating my first um, little mini amusement parks inside my house. Did you ever, what did you start off first creating to uh, uh, sort of uh, stretch your, stretch your uh, legs in the creative zone, you know, giving people experiences? I would make uh, what I like to call clay kingdoms. Okay. So I'd make little theme parks entirely out of clay and like make little roller coasters and things. And I'd make my favorite rides and I'd cover the entire floor in like these little worlds and it would be so much fun. Oh my goodness. We're, you're uh, right after my own heart. Um, I, I was creating a jungle cruise uh, in, a, in the planter outside my house, uh, outside the front door, and of course a haunted house inside the garage where I'd stick my kid's sister down into the uh, washing machine with a sheet over her so she could pop out and scare people. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how I started. So uh, tell, your story, Trevor, is really um, fun and uh, how you um, sort of made your way into Lucasfilm. Will you tell that story a little bit? Sure. Um yeah, it's, it's interesting. I knew about the age of seven that I was really interested in filmmaking. It's yeah. been filmmaking for me, and, and themed entertainment has been a newer, you know, last three or four years. But again, it's, it's an evolution of that, of that, of the experience of storytelling. So right. it makes complete sense. In truth, like Grace was saying, or Memphis was saying, you know, she, she, she built her little worlds, you know, her little clay, clay kingdoms. Yeah. And you built your jungle cruise. I would build models and blow them up. Yeah. You know, I had little firecrackers, and but but for the most part, that that was all the model making that I kind of did. I could build furniture and stuff like that, but I'd never really built models. But I just loved that world and knew that there was a place for me there. 
So for me, getting a job as a floor sweep was probably the best thing that could have happened. <laughs> because at first, you know, being, you know, being a college, college graduate, sweeping floors and making coffee. At first, I mean, I, I didn't scoff at all, but, but you know, it was really no pay in, in, in terms of, you know, living. Um, but I quickly learned a couple of things. One, I could sweep the floor really well, yeah. you know. Um, and number two, I'm doing something that other people don't want to do. Three, um, I don't know how many numbers there are, by the way, but three, um, I became a human being because I was actually working around people. Oh, what are you working on? What's, oh, wow, that's cool. So I could actually see what people are actually doing. Yeah. And then they would say, oh, check this out, check this out. And then the segue became pretty natural because they would say, oh, come in. Why don't you cut out all these little pieces? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they, they saw me more as a human being or as Trevor than as somebody that was brought in from the union that's an artist that's being paid, but they really don't know what they're doing. Um, so I think I would have probably come in and been weeded out pretty quick because my, I, I just had no formal training in, you know, so I would go on to teach, you know, a lot of, you know, I've, I've taught a lot of kids through the years, university level and, and others, but I always say it's better to be the janitor in the building you want to be in than to be the president of the building you don't want to be in, yeah. you know, so find what you want to do and just start getting in there. And, and I think that you... Uh, I, I've seen people under, you know, just just completely berate or or just under undermine, um, like kind of floor sweeping work. Yeah, right. But that's actually the godsend. Yeah. Because you can get in there and you can actually shine. Yeah. In something people don't want to do, and then and then people see you as somebody that's dedicated to the team. Yeah, and because you are on the team, you have the access, and uh, that could be a worthwhile. Uh, be beginning first step that leads to relationship. I mean, that's really what you had it's was relationship with people. Yeah, yeah. It, all of this, uh, every single piece is the, none of the jobs any of us want are going to be advertised on Craigslist. Yeah, nothing like that. That's and, right. And the people that hire have no interest in even announcing that the job exists because they're too busy. Like anyone that's worth like that 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 truly is good at what they do is going to need someone when they're busy and the last thing they're going to want to do is put together an ad and did it, you know so it really becomes relationship yeah. and I realized this recently that at my studio I tend to hire the people that touched base in the last week and a half yeah you know and I learned something very valuable from Mark Anderson who now had taken the helm of the model shop when I went there he couldn't hire me on the spot but he said to me he said um, keep in touch you won't bother me mm. and I think just that little tidbit was the piece that completely set me free and, and has created a lot of success, which is, I think for us when we're trying to get work or we're trying to get in contact with somebody, we don't want to bother them. Yeah. So we send an email, we don't get a reply, we want to wait, you know, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, you know, and ooh, I don't want to bother them. So what I, what I traditionally do, and this is what I learned at that moment, he said, get in touch with me once a week, you won't bother me. So I thought, great. And, and so then what I encourage people to do and what I've done is I'll send an email when I first want to get in with somebody and say, look, I'm going to send you updates probably every week. At any given moment, if you don't want to hear any more, just let me know. Yeah. No problem. And I've never had anybody say, stop emailing me. Yeah. Um, Grace has something bad about it. Oh, yes. Oh, no, I just thought I'm totally stealing the idea. Oh, you yeah. should. No, everyone should. No, and I'll tell you, that is, that is, that's 95% of the people. The people I hire right now, honestly, like like I have a job come up and I need a modeler. And if somebody touched base in the last week and a half, they're on my mind and they, they yeah. I, I'll 
they usually get the again. So so in in service of it, it truly is relationships. This yeah. Is, you know, and we get into projects that are under fire, tight deadlines, tight budgets. I mean, you become married to the people you're working with, and you are in a, a firing squad. You know, with with these people and. You really, again, just even bigger service of relationships. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, thinking through how leaders are hiring uh, people is is super important, and that's what people are looking for. There's so right now the the industry is booming, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of opportunity out there right. and a lot of reasons to know how to get hired. Right. There's a lot of Very people uh, hungry for work mm -hmm. and and the the work is there. Right. And so now it's about building those relationships. I just heard a quote, uh, or I'm going to butcher the story, but mm -hmm. I understand that Bob Rogers, who was um, with Disney, right. um, uh, somebody asked him, um, how do you get into the industry? Do I go to HR and you know just walk up to the door? Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, that's the last place you want to you know really start. Right. That's where they want to funnel you. But he said that this industry is more like a wall, and there's an industry inside that wall. And every once in a while, a hole opens up in that wall, and it's based on relationship. It's based on certain talents. It's based on certain being right there at the right time. And then that wall that Oh, that person passes through into the industry and it closes up mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Never that hole, never to be opened again, because yeah. it was 100% unique to the people involved in the relationships that were built there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's sort mm -hmm. of this, a lot of the stories that I'm hearing. It's your story. Agreed. Seems yeah. sometimes you gotta also um, point out the hole because people don't see it. Yeah, like to yeah. the people and basically go, look, you know what? I'm seeing what you guys are doing. I, you know, I'm thinking I, where I went to school. You know, there there were there were ten people for every good job. No, there were probably hundred students for every good job. And working in the record store was the best job. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to work. And so they were <laughs> interviewing, and they probably they talked to probably like a hundred people. You know, just for one little yeah. minimum wage job. But it was it was the best job in town. So I finished the interview, and I just looked around and I said, Hey, I noticed like your signage is kind of weak. Um, would you mind if I just made a couple signs for you while while I'm waiting for your answer on who you're going to hire? And she was like, sure. She's not going to stop free help. You know? right. and, and so I made a few signs and I got the job. Yeah. You know, again, mm -hmm. that's your, your sort of illuminating, you know, you don't want to go in and say, you know, your company's got a big hole in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> nobody likes to know it all. However, if you, if you can see, if you see where you want to be and you can see a, an opportunity to, to actually just do something um, and show off your skills, I think just know, just know what you want and just, just really figure, I, I guess if, if there is a general theme to all of this, it's figure out your uniqueness and how to show that. For me, it was building a, a sculptural, posable puppet, yeah. dressing up like a delivery guy. And then at the parties for ILM, you sit and you share stories with other people about how did you get in here? Oh, this one guy built a 12-foot costume of like Lothar, this like, like battle-axed-wielding you know, creature, and he put it on and showed up outside the door and just knocked. Oh, that's great. And he found the door, too. Like, like again, that hole in the wall is a door that sometimes you have to get in a taxi to find. Yeah, that's like, right. Like, it's not, you know, so, so, uh, so, yeah, I think, I think, I think if you're trying to enter a clever field, it's good to show that you're clever. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. I, that kind of makes me wonder about you. Um, so, as you've gotten, uh, in, you're, you get closer and closer to the industry. Yeah. Trevor's talking about the idea that uh, it's going to take time. Oh, yeah. uh, you're not going to walk in the door and suddenly get your dream design job. Uh, it's going to take some time to mm. learn and build towards that. So 
have you thought about uh, your path, where you think you're going ahead? And I think this is a, an exciting time for some people to hear how one person is so passionate about this that she's go, she's ready to launch into a life that begins, you know, today at this IAP. So my path has been incredibly difficult and different, and it's so unique. It actually, when I was originally off, when I originally met this guy, it just started. I just saw something about VR and started talking with the late, like my, the nearest guy about VR and theme parks. And he was like, oh, well, come to LA. I'm working in VR. I'm working in theme parks. Come out. I'll show you. I'll introduce you to people. And so when that happened, I realized that I'm going to want to find a lot of li little different holes. I'm not going to just find my one big hole and jump in it and be in. I'm going to have to like snake around because I want to be in the theme park industry. What does that mean? Do I want to design costumes? Do I want to write scripts? Do I want to do the tech? Do I want to do coding? So what I've been, what my path I've decided to choose now is I'm just going around and trying to make, trying to get into all these different things. Like I just got invited to go to China to see a factory that makes inflatables. I'm going to be. <laughs> That's a hole in the Great Wall. <laughs> I am. Um, I talk. I just sit down at a bench and talk with these guys who have a theme park in construction, and I'm like, "Hey, can I come and help you guys finish it?" You know, I'm just trying to find all these little holes so I can get a taste of all the different pies, so I can find which one I'm addicted to. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny that you said that. I mean, in a, in the you know 15 minutes that we've known each other, uh, I told you where I work. And you said, oh, I'd love to. Can you tell me about any internships there? I mean, that's the kind of brilliant, uh, just going for it attitude that we, we're, yeah. we're seeing in, your, in you. And I'm, I wish you all the best. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just grateful to you guys for taking the time today to talk story, to talk about uh, the industry, both from now veteran status mm -hmm. to uh, the very young next generation uh, coming in and, and uh, being the next spark for the future. So thank you guys. Thank you, Trevor. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Freddie. And thank you very much. It was my pleasure too. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope to have you guys on again. And it'll be very fun very soon. I can't wait to uh, ride your first attraction. So that's going to be the best. All right. Thanks, guys. So that was IAPA 2018, at least from my perspective. Uh, it was a great time. I was so glad to go there and hang out with you and hang out with all these other people, Mel. I, uh, I know I had fun, but I'm still tired from that. <laughs> well, I definitely know I'm still recovering. I, uh, you know, I think you, you may have the same experience of uh, people seeing your social media posts or, the, you know, family saying, I hope you had fun at the carnival or whatever. But, uh, you know, people just don't understand. Like, these are long days, 18-hour days. Uh, you're, you're, the puppies, the dogs are barking, yeah, man. <laughs> the feet are hurting. Yeah. Um, I mean, emotionally, uh, it, it can be kind of draining. Um, but again, uh, so worthwhile and it wouldn't, wouldn't uh, miss that kind of family reunion every year, yeah. you know. Yeah, IAPA was uh, quite an experience. What I noticed too is we, you, when you first walk in, you do see. Uh, that there's everything from roller coaster and projection ride uh, manufacturers there with the rides in the very building that you can test out uh, down to the popcorn uh, vendors and, and candy cane uh, or, or cotton candy vendors. All of those, there's such a breadth of what makes up the um, themed entertainment industry. And yet it was mostly about the people and getting to meet 
both veterans in the industry and then, you know, like this 16 year old girl uh, who wants and sees her dreams being fulfilled by getting involved in this industry. And I think that's just sort of a fascinating um, opportunity. It's not just about the stuff. It's really about the people. Definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, we learned a lot. The water's getting high here, Mel, and the diesel's getting low. So it's time to get back to the dock. What do you say? We head on back. Let's do it. All right. Until the river calls again. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. Leave us a review on iTunes Podcast and share the show with your friends. We really appreciate it. We want to thank our very special guest, Brad Thomas, the president of Silver Dollar City, Rich Hill, creative director at Sally Corporation, Claire Evans, president of Amazulu, Dan Zawatsky of Imagination Corporation, Michael Mercadante, international board president of the Themed Entertainment Association, Phil Hedema of the Hedema Group, Trevor Tuttle of the Bureau of Story Art, and next-gen superstar Memphis Grace McPherson. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, the world's most comprehensive site on theme park and theme park attraction design. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at skipperfreddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry once told me about a time he met an elephant and it squirted him right in the face. Most people think that's pretty funny, but it's not. Thanks for listening, folks.